My name is Nick Wagner Sr. And I am the creator of the Full Potential Podcast. And I'm sitting down in person with Gary Burnham Jr. tonight. So Gary, thanks for making time. My pleasure, Nick. I don't usually do these in person. I was just telling you, I usually do these over over, over an app. Uh, but I, I drove over to the, to the Burnham residence tonight for this, uh, for this interview. And I was surprised to hear you've never done one of these before, considering you're a professional athlete for so long. So I'm a little surprised. But thanks for letting me be your, uh, your first podcast interview. Yeah, no, no sweat, man. You know, these interviews were basically uh, with a pen and paper, you know, prior to 2010. Uh, but now the technology's changed and everyone has the ability to do these types of things. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. So I have never, I've interviewed a general manager of the Hartford Yard Goats, who was a lot of fun. Okay. But I've never interviewed a professional athlete. Okay. So you're the, you're the first. Cool. So I have, I have a lot of questions and I'm sure my audience is going gonna, is gonna, to, I think, enjoy hearing some of your stories about your career. And I think the one thing I definitely want to hear about is just like a lot of the leadership stories you've heard. Sure. Leadership stories you've you've experienced over your time being a professional athlete, both here and uh, in in I believe Japan, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, that's so very cool. So, so why don't we start? Because I want to know, you know, how did how did how did Gary Burnham Jr. become the baseball player that that you were? Right? Was this like you were you were three and you were out there playing baseball with your dad and you knew at that point, yeah, that's what you wanted to do, or was this one of those things that you never really thought you were going to do it, and you guys ended up being really good, and it kind of evolved. What was yeah, it? so when I was a kid, Nick, you know, I grew up around baseball. My grandfather was a minor league player in the Brooklyn Dodgers organization in the mid-40s. His son, which is my mom's brother, was a fifth-round pick of the Atlanta Braves back in 1980. So I was probably, I was probably eight to nine years old. Uh, my grandfather was a... a an, a college umpire here in the greater Hartford area. I was at all the games. I was timing players down the line with a stopwatch at eight years old, giving the time to the local scouts. This kid ran a 4.2. This kid ran a 4.4. And I was just at the park all day. Um, so, you know, when I was a little kid, it, the whole entire family conversation revolved around baseball. Everything was was revolved around talking about baseball. So if you wanted attention in my family, you needed to play baseball. So when I realized that I was pretty good and my father uh, would, would always pitch me balls when, when I was a little kid, he loved baseball too. Um, you know, I just realized that I could hit the heck out of the ball real early and I could hit the ball a heck of a lot better and further than every kid on the team, every kid my age. And you just... You know, when you're a little kid, you see what pays attention to you and you just gravitate towards it. So I literally, uh, I made a scrapbook when I was a kid, you know, my t-ball games, my peewee games, and cutting and pasting the little articles out of the newspaper. And I just kept, I just kept running with it. So ever since the time I was a little kid, I just wanted to be a ball player. I used to look at my grandfather's picture on his wall of him and his, uh, his Brooklyn Dodgers minor league uniform. And I used to just say to myself, I want to be that man. Like that was what it was. That's so, where it's at. So at what point did you realize that you, you might actually be able to make this, make this, make this happen? Cause you know, I think a lot of, a lot of kids probably think, Oh, I'm pretty good. Right. But to say you're pretty good and then actually become a professional athlete. Or yeah. When, like you that. know, when I, when I was in little league, I, I would, I would probably say, you know, when I was 12 years old and, and, you know, we got to All-Stars here in South Windsor, and I, I hit 18 home runs when I was 12 years old. And 
I could hit the ball over the fence easily. I mean easily. And it seemed like every time the kid threw the ball, I just hit a home run. And you know, and I said, and I would just say to myself, man, I can do this. I, I just I could do it. And you know, when you start getting headlines in newspapers and you know, you start playing American Legion baseball against 18-year-olds as a 14-year-old, and then you start hitting home runs against 18-year-olds when you're 14, you start putting two and two together in your brain and you're like, man, I'm not normal, dude. I'm not, I don't have like average skills. I got yeah. way above average skills. And I'm going to just go with it because and, it makes me feel good. And do you think that was, was that just natural ability and practice? Or do you think it was more just natural ability? You know, looking back on it, man, it, it's God-given talent, man. It's My father was an oil painter. He gave that talent to me. I can draw... I can draw anything, any anywhere. I can I can draw things, and people are like, "Oh my God, how'd you draw that?" I can the hand-eye coordination that my father gave me. What was what made me line the ball up on the bat at ninety to hundred miles an hour? I just could do it. Yeah. And you know, I had the body for it. My mom's Italian family were stocky, they're muscular, and when you put both sides of the family together, I I was like this kid that. That when you saw a play, you're just like, man, this kid's something different. And that's kind of how I just kept riding it. So so you said you said literally you think you, you realized it. I know you got drafted to play college baseball at Clemson and you played you played in college. I know it seems like some people go the college route and some people go right from high school to the minors, yeah. right? Yeah. There's like two different paths with when it comes to baseball. It's a little bit different from say the NBA or the NFL. Correct. So there's two different paths. So when I was an 18 year old, I was a, you know, back in the story up, you know, and this is an important piece of the whole puzzle. You know, I was 17 years old playing high school football because you also had to play high school football in our family. You know, you were considered a complete wuss bag if you weren't going to play football. So you better be, you know, you better be ready to, you know, hit it hard in the fall in football and hit it hard on the field in baseball in the springtime. So when I had played football my junior year when I was 17, I blew my right ACL out. And my my dad was really pissed off. He was pissed because, you know, he kind of didn't want me playing football, but there's a lot of family pressure to play football. I was a tough kid. I wanted to, you know, prove my mettle, test my mettle, prove my manhood. You know, I was a teenage kid looking to lift weights and, and, and bang heads. And... I blew my right ACL out, man. And, you know, my dad was real nervous. I wasn't going to get a scholarship to play baseball. And Clemson University was really, and the University of Hartford were two schools that really heavily recruited me despite me hurting my knee. And I had a, I had a partial scholar, I had about half a scholarship to Clemson. And I was drafted by the Chicago Cubs out of high school. And I chose to go to Clemson because my uncle chose to go to pros out of South Windsor High School. And my mother said he wasn't ready at all. He got was just too young. He was overmatched. He wasn't mature. And he got swallowed up by minor league baseball. So my mom didn't want that to happen to me. And so they steered me towards going to college. And that's the choice that I made. It was a smart choice. Did you go all four years? I did. I was drafted again my junior year out of uh, Clemson. And I didn't go. I was a late round pick in the 40th round. And I didn't. I didn't go. I, I went back for my fourth year. 
and then I got drafted again by the Phillies, and that's when I started my pro career. So, so looking looking back, do you think going that route and going to college was the right decision? Yeah, you do. It's the smartest route. Um, you know, minor league baseball isn't what it 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 seems to be to the average person. It seems like it's it is a kind of a cool, glamorous experience to get drafted and have the team come into your living room. But once you sign the contract, all that stuff's over, man. It's now, it's now your, you know, it's now the grind, man. The grind is real. And if you, if you get into those environments, you know, without the, you know, self discipline and perseverance, you've never struggled before. You're going from an environment that's telling you how great you are, right, to failing. And a lot of kids can't handle that, man. It's a lot different than people think. So how how was it, how was playing professional? Sorry, how was playing college baseball at Clemson? What was that experience? Yeah, like? so you know, college baseball at Clemson—it's a top five school in the country. When I was there, we played in two college World Series. Wow! So you know, I was twenty and twenty-one years old. I hit two home runs on ESPN with everybody watching the game in the living room. You know, so that was at the time that was my big leagues. Every summer, I would play Cape Cod baseball league. I played for the Orleans Cardinals and the Falmouth Commodores. I was MVP of the All Star game in '95. Um, so you know, I had gained all this prospect status, you know, nationally. I was an All-American at Clemson, you know, and when you go into a, a university like that, I mean, you're treated like a major leaguer at these universities. You have all the gear, um, you have all the uh, academic help with tutoring, study halls. So you're getting your education and you're playing ridiculously high level of uh, amateur baseball. You know, these coaches are supporting their families with their coaching job. So yeah, these guys are taking it, it absolutely 100% seriously. They want to win a national championship. And that's and that's the approach they take. They keep you to that standard. So when I actually entered into professional baseball, my first half season, it was a step down from the ACC. Because the level there is so high that getting into low-level minor league baseball, I felt was a little bit of a step down. So what position did you play when you were at Clemson? I was a left fielder. Was that always your, your that, spot? That was always my spot at Clemson was left field. And it growing growing up, same thing? Or no, you... I you know, when I interestingly as a as a as a young player, I was always a pitcher. You know, they always made me a left-handed pitcher. And then I played first base when I was an American Legion player. When yeah. I was played at South Windsor High School, I played first base. Yep. You know, but from a scouting standpoint, here you have a kid that's under six feet playing first base. And, you know, when I went to Clemson, you know, they wanted a six foot five first baseman. So they stuck me in the outfield. And that's where I played for four years. Interesting. Okay. So what, so let's, what was your biggest accomplishment and biggest failure when you were in college, either on or off the field? Yeah. Well, you know, when I was a freshman there, interestingly, so I, so think about this. I blew my right ACL out as a 17 year old junior in high school. I blew my left ACL out as a freshman in college wow. at Clemson baseball. I collided with our shortstop. Uh, and, you know, in my opinion, and, and that, that was a devastating for me. You know, my mother was crying. You know, do you think he'll ever get drafted? Do you think this is going to hurt his chances? You know, and, and believe it or not, you know, Nick, I was sitting there like, man, nobody can measure this but me. I, this isn't going to stop me, man. I just knew it. I was 19 years old. I had been around the block once with a right ACL. Right. So you already knew what it was like. I was going to need to go through it again with my left ACL. And I came back that following year, my sophomore year in college, I was an All-American. I mean, 
there wasn't nobody going to stop me. I mean, and you want to talk about, you know, full potential stuff like that. I mean, that's when I was digging deeper into defining myself. I had to define myself. Who did I want to be? What did my story want to be? And every day I would work out and rehabilitate. I was always constantly thinking of that person that I knew I wanted to be. Not the person I didn't want to be. I wanted to be that guy that came back stronger. Not the guy that uses it as an excuse. So where, where did that drive come from? Like a family member or a parent? Me personally, you know, I... Because not everyone has that. My, you know, my my family has, has a lot of pride. I mean, they, you know, my dad's side of the family are farmers. They'd rather, they'd rather die at work than go to the doctor to fix bronchitis. They'd rather bleed to death and not ask for anyone to help rather than just saying, hey man, I need to go to the hospital. I'm bleeding to death. So there was, with my dad's side of the family and all the farming they did, there's this insane, unwritten, like macho mentality that they had that you better be tough as nails because, or else you're just going to die. So I, I had that tough as nails mentality in that drive because I just didn't want to be viewed as a coward. I didn't want to, but I don't, it, I think it was also work ethic, right? Yeah. Incredible work ethic. You know, you, you know, to, to, to be around a dad, that's a farmer, man. It's, you look at somebody work that hard and come in muddy as hell. It, it you know, you don't, it's just, a, they're sending the message without saying anything, man. Yeah. You're going to need to work, dude, if you want to live your life. And that, and I just knew, I, I just knew I was great and I wanted to prove it. And I knew I'd have to work my ass off. So was the ACL tear in college the failure or the accomplishment or both? Well, that's the thing, right? So in the moment, it, you feel like it's a failure, yeah. like a massive setback. You know, looking back on it, man, that, that's the foundational, pivotal point in your life that you can start defining yourself and saying, man, I'm going to own this and I'm going to dominate it. And anybody else that goes through it, if they want to lean on me for strength, I got you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've been no, through it. That's interesting. But it's it's unbelievable you had you tore both of them right I mean wow um, yeah yeah seventeen and nineteen man two ACLs so so you get you, you complete college you get drafted and now you're in what minor like what because there's different not not all the listeners under, understand yeah so like, for the how audience does, how does this yeah, work? exactly so for the audience it's very easy to explain professional baseball it's exactly like the grades in school yeah there's grades one all the way to grade seven. Okay. okay. Grade one is your rookie levels. That's like your 16, 17, 18 year olds. Grade two is your A minus. Grade three is your A. Grade four is your A plus. Grade five is your double A. Grade six is your triple A. Grade seven is your major leagues. Got it. So when I got out of Clemson, they'll put me at about a, they'll put me right into like a grade two, which is like, it's not your high school kids. It's your college kids. Right. Because of the age. So wow. when you get in at 22... <clears throat> where I was, they'll pump you right into like a level two and they'll put you in with your age group. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's a long climb into the majors. Yeah. You got you to gotta, you gotta start blowing through all those levels and dominating right. Right. to move forward. And how many, I mean, what's, what, what, are, what are the, I'm sure you know some of the stats. Like what are the stats, the number of people that, that go into this, into this system that actually make it? All yeah. So it's, top? well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great conversation, you know, when you, you know, and I laugh with people all the time. It's like, you know, when you first get drafted coming out of a university or a high school, you know, it's big news. Everybody wants to know what round you're picked in. Oh, what was your signing bonus? What are they paying you? 
And you know, as you start playing, nobody cares because right, the right. round you're drafted in, the 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 money. There's always there's a saying in baseball, man. The money doesn't play, which means the money that you received isn't going to get you a hit. It's not going to pitch you a shutout. It's not going to run the bases for you, dude. You need to play. You yeah. have to be a good player. So, you know, when you get into these environments, all that stuff goes away, man. It's real amateur talk to start talking about the round you're picked in. Yeah. And all this and that, man. Because so once you they, get out there, you do they play. tell you this? Like, how do you learn all this? It's unwritten, man. You just figure it out Interesting. quick. Okay. You just figure it out quick because you get it. Because you, you, you walk into the clubhouse and there's the kid that was picked first with th- four or five million dollars in his pocket. And this dude is as cool as you, man. And he's like, he's taking batting practice and you're like, man, I can do what this guy can do. Yeah. Why is he worth so much more? And you start to realize, man, there's not, there's not that big of a difference here. The difference is in. Just what someone's opinion was of some other kid. Yeah, the scouts, right? Yeah. So, so you know, you you get in there and you got to start. You just got to start really knowing. You got to start believing in yourself, man. And that's where is that's it, where is I was there a lot of self doubt within within a lot of these professional athletes because uh, I feel like obviously there's the physical part of it, right? But I feel the mental toughness you need to make it. It's a huge part of how, how if you're successful or not. That's that's where that's where I felt Nick that I was better than other people. Man, was the mental toughness. the mental toughness piece of it? I don't know if it was because I had two ACLs prior to it. I don't know if it was because you know the family background I grew up in. You know, and and it's interesting because I have a friend of mine that, and I would say this to my buddy now because we're forty years old. We talk about the path that we used to go on and. You know, phone call back to my house. Hey, man, I'm struggling. Wasn't like, hey, no problem, Gary. We love you, man. Come on home. It's okay. You can work at the local. You know, just get your degree and get a job. Right. It wasn't like that, dude. It was swing the and bat. You're going to let these guys stick it up. You're what? You go out there and stick it up there. You know what? F that. You ain't coming home. Get back out there and throw some punches. That's, that's the information yeah. I received. Whereas my buddy, who his parents worked at IBM and was very talented, right? No problem. Just get your degree, man. You don't need to do this. You don't need to play baseball. You don't need this. You don't need the aggravation in your life, right? But that that wasn't what what the callback for me was. So, and on top of that, I wasn't going to accept not being the best. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to accept it because I knew I could do great. And so I just would constantly constantly move my brain forward constantly pushing that doubt monkey off my shoulder constantly yeah. telling him he was wrong how did you do that because i think a lot of people struggle i think a lot of people struggle with what you just said yeah like what's the trick the i was a master at selling myself a lie i was a master at selling myself that i deserve to be the greatest if i put the hard work in i was a master at visualization i would visualize all the home runs I hit, I kept a journal of every home run I hit, every double I hit in the gap. Interesting. And I'd read through them over and over and over and over and over again. The complete opposite, excuse me, of what a coach would tell a player when they're watching video. They would tell the player, dude, watch when you strike out, look what you're doing wrong. Watch when you pop up, look what you're doing wrong. Right. Watch when you roll over a ground ball, how you're pulling off the ball. I'd do the opposite. I'd put myself, I'd rather watch an hour of highlight videos of me doing well 
than me doing poorly. Because that motivated you. That put me in a frame of peak performance. And then I always ask myself, how can I replicate this? How can I do it just one more night? So in, in, in sports, right? In baseball specifically, people get in slumps. Yes. But they don't hit anything. I feel like that happens to people in real life too. Correct. You get you, you can call it a slump, you can call it a funk, you're out of it, you're at work, you're not performing, whatever it might be. Correct. Do you think what you just said would help people get out of those slumps or funks in their job it, it, like, yes. it, like it would in, in professional 100%. Sports? Yes. Because I would tell anybody that, you know, when you describe feelings, when you describe feelings of greatness, and I say this all the time. And especially with athletes and hitting a baseball. Um, excuse me one second. When you describe when you describe feelings of greatness, Nick. Okay. If you ask any player, they're going to give you emotional feelings. Every yeah. one of them. Yeah. The ball looks big. The game was in slow motion. I just knew what was coming. Right. The ball looked fat. Or like the rim, like the basketball players, like the rim just looked so big that I could correct. I could always get it in. None of the things they described were mechanic are mechanical cues. None of them. Yeah. However, in traditional coaching, every problem is the correction is mechanical in in a coach's brain. I call that BS. <laughs> the the instruction should be emotional. You see, if you're in a funk. It's what you're subconsciously telling your brain. That's why all this stuff is patternized. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're in a if if your brain's in a slump, it's because I feel like your brain is constantly is is wired in a pattern to just kind of relive that funk. Well, over the self, self doubt perpetuates more self doubt. Correct. So my suggestion to anybody, including the athlete, the sales guy, the whomever. Is to write down times when you were the, feeling the greatest. That's really interesting. And go back to those behaviors. And relive them. Re-experience them. Correct. Relive those behaviors that created those feelings. Nine out of ten times I feel that somebody will... They'll start identifying with, with that, that behavior. And get themselves back closer to those feelings. And that's why when I teach kids hitting. I talk about successful behaviors and successful hitters unsuccessful behaviors and unsuccessful hitters. What are the, what are they doing? If you want to be if you want to step in the bucket and get on the side of unsuccessful hitting, you can do it. You're just going to lessen your chance. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing in life. If you're if you're a guy that's expecting incredible sales, but you're you're not getting back to your customers in less than 2 hours in today's world, dude, you're falling on the unsuccessful behavior of you know, low percentage sales, man. Right. It's not saying you'll never sell. No, that makes sense though. It's just yeah. saying you're in a low percentage. It should be, it's all behavior. So it makes sense. You know, so I would challenge anybody to start writing down when they felt amazing. I really like that. And what were they doing then that they can go back to it and recall in your brain? Because your brain has a memory. It'll, it'll go back well, to it. Well, I mean, it's is. interesting you say that because, and I've, I've talked about this on another podcast. I'm certified in Clifton Strengths, and the whole idea behind Clifton Strengths is you figure out what your top five strengths are. You should embrace those. Don't worry about what you're not good at. Worry about what you are good at. Exactly. And and, and focus on it. Exactly the, the, right. The whole, the whole psychology behind it is don't worry about what you're not good at and trying to fix it. Embrace what you are good at. That, that's exactly right, Nick. And, 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 and in baseball, you know, everybody, a lot of people ask me the question, geez, care, how do these guys hit these this major league pitching? Yeah. How do these guys do it? And it's exactly what you just said. 
The pitchers pitch to their strength. The hitters hit to their strengths. Right. Who makes the mistake first? If you got a nasty slider pitcher and you're an amazing slider hitter, he's still throwing you sliders. Yeah, yeah. Because that's his strength. It's going to be strength versus strength at that point. So, so how long did you play in the in the in the minor league system for? So I was in the minor leagues in the United States for eleven straight years. Eleven. And what do you think? So, is that a normal time? Like no average that's, time? What, what, that's what? that's way beyond really the normal person's career. Yes, I was never released. So a team, an organization, never said to me. Hey Gary, we're not signing you back next year. We don't think you you fit in our system. Right. I was never released, which tells me that every single coach that I had, every single one, went to bat for me in the winter meetings and right. said, "This kid can help our organization. We're going to keep him around." Which is which is a good thing. Which is a very good thing. Okay. Um. However, I didn't play in the major leagues, and after the success I had, which as I was an all star. At every single level of the minor leagues, every single level, and I was turning thirty-three. <clears throat> I had two AAA MVPs. That's the grade six I was talking about earlier. Right. I had two AAA team MVPs. I had a Double A team MVP, the all-time home run record for the Reading Phillies, and I had no major league time. So I told my wife, and this was hard for me to make this decision. How long you married at that point? Um, it was 2000 and we weren't married. Oh, you weren't married. Okay. Yeah. We were, we were dating and I told my wife in 2007, Yep. I was 32 turning 33 in October. This was my last year, Rachel in the States. I'm going to get a piece of the pie, meaning I'm going to get paid. Right. And we're going to go to Asia. And that's what I told her I was going to do. And I said, and I do, and I, and I follow through with the things I say I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. So what I did was, and this is a great story, Nick. This is a great story. I called an international agency that places players. International. Okay, in Asia, okay. Brian Greeper and John Grossman. Okay, and I called those guys up. And I said to them, how much do you charge to place players internationally? They said 6% of the gross salary. Right. And I said, you got to be kidding me. You want 6%? And they were like, yeah, man, like, what, is that too much? And I said, actually, it's not enough. I'm going to give you 10% and you're going to scratch off anybody else that does what I do. And you're going to find me a job over that guy because I'm a better player Yeah. and I want to pay you. And they, and they said to me, they're like, you're the smartest business guy we've ever dealt with. And I said, because your, your commission check is a tax write-off for me anyway. And it's better than what I've been making before. So I don't care if I gotta pay you. Everyone's gonna go and get a great contract next year, including you. And they're like, dude, we love you, man. So what happened? They got me a job in Taiwan, you know, for like 8,500 bucks a month, plus bonuses. While I was in Taiwan, I was constantly hammering the phone and emails to Bobby Valentine, who was in Japan. And Bobby kept saying, I don't have any room on the team for you. I don't have any room on the team for you. No problem, Bob. Uh, can you at least get me a tryout in front of your front front office? I could see if I could do that. And so when I was in Taiwan, number one, I set the all-time 
foreigner hitting streak record for games in a row with a hit. You can look it up, 23 games. Not a single foreign player hit in 23 straight games other than me. It, the record was broken, but I was the guy that set the bar. Um, and I kept calling Valentine up, and he got me a tryout in front of the brass there. After the season. In Japan. Yes, sir. Yep. The brass didn't like what they saw. <laughs> I told Bobby Valentine, dude, I can help you win. I'm, I'm a great player. And he was like, give me till Christmas. Calls me up and he says, sign this contract. Meet us in Okinawa. There's no negotiating. I signed it and I met the team in Okinawa. I, I, he, got me, he got me to Japan. Is Japan considered like the premier? It's the major leagues. It's the major leagues of Asia. Correct. Got it. Okay. It's where Ichiro Suzuki, my first home run was against Ichiro Suzuki's team. Got it. Okay. It, you know, all the best of the best that are here. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka, the home run that I had on YouTube on uh, the Yankees. Right. You know, he was their big pitcher in, in Rakuten before the year before he came to the Yankees at 20, in New York, yeah. 22 years old. Isashi Iwakuma, Yu Darvish, uh, Ichiro Suzuki. You know, these guys were superstars in the league that I was in, but they came to the States because they could make three times the money they could make. Right, there. right. How long did you play in Japan? I played there one year. How'd it go? It was a great experience. I hit four huge home runs late in the games. I was in more of a pinch hit spot start role. Um, and Bobby had said that, you know, he wanted to use us more, but his hands were tied. He had to play some guys. And I and which is totally fine. I mean, I am thankful that Bobby changed my life. He changed my life. He finally got me a piece of the pie that I deserved. And it and it kind of the part that eats at me is I had to go to another country to get what I knew I was worth. Did, do you regret not going earlier? No. No? No, because my goal was major leagues. Yeah. You know, I, you, you know, as an American player, there's kind of an unwritten rule that if you're going to go play internationally, yeah. you're giving up on... You're giving up on the majors? Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, unless, you're, unless you're a staple major leaguer, unless you've got four or five years under your belt. Got it. You know... So why why only one year in Japan then? Well, because they fired Bobby. They let they let Bobby go. After Didn't he end year. up coming back to majors? Yes, he he managed for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, a couple of years after I I was on his team. So so Bobby left, and you just added. Bobby left, and they cleaned house with all the people okay, associated okay. with Bobby as well, which included me, the coaches that were associated with him, the other players that were associated with him. They just see you later. And at that point, did you actually retired or from the game? No, I went to Italy. The last Italy. year okay. I played, I played in uh, right outside of Bologna, Italy, as kind of like one last vacation league, because in Europe, they uh, they have a league in Italy. It's underdeveloped. The players are good athletes, but it's underdeveloped baseball. It's not. They don't have the youth programs and systems that we have here. Right. Yeah. Baseball so you have play. some outstanding athletes. But they just don't have the skills that the American system has. Interesting. Yep. So do you remember your last game? I do. I do remember my last game. And you know what? I felt great. I knew... You knew it was time? Yep. I was 35 years old, turning 36. And I just was very confident in myself that, you know what? I did everything I wanted to do. Everything. I was an all-star at every level of the minor leagues. I successfully played against almost every major league player from the late 90s to the early 2000s. 
Um, I met incredibly awesome dudes at every level. I played with, uh, I was managed by some of the best of the best managers. And I just established a ton of respect inside the industry as a really good hitter. Right. And a really good guy. You know, and the Phillies inducted me in the Hall of Fame in 2016. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yep. So I was a That's super cool. I was a Philadelphia Phillies double A Hall of Fame inductee in 2016. South Windsor High School put me in their Hall of Fame in 2014. Very cool. I didn't realize that. So what So obviously there's a lot of lessons, right, over over your time as a professional athlete. But throughout all this, like who who was your inspiration to keep going? Honestly, I would say I just, honestly, man, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but it was really about when it was all over, how did I want it to go? (laughs) Yeah. I just didn't want to be, I can't stand it, man. This is, this is, this is just me being me, but it just burns my ass when I'm at a picnic and like somebody knows I play pro ball or something. Yeah. And they just, they just, and I get it from their standpoint, they just want to connect with me. But they feel a need to tell me that their their cousin or their uncle or something was a great pitcher in the minors, but he blew his arm out. But the coach really stuck it up as you know what. Yeah. But he, you know, he decided to get married and go home. It's it's the excuses, man. The the buddy did this, but he really wasn't this. I didn't want to have that next to my name, man. I wanted to be the guy that says, nah, man, nah. Nah, I went through 11 operations. I went through a dad that had tremendous health issues, emotionally, physically. And I didn't care. I kept going forward, man. Because I, I, just, I just put my, my hand on my heart and just asked myself, dude, who are you, bro? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be as tough as you know you are? Or do you want to just... You want to just be that guy, man, sitting around that picnic area saying, yeah, man, I just kind of, it was just too much for me. So I went home. <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy. Right. So, so you said when you were done, you knew it was time. And I feel a lot of, I feel like a lot of athletes have trouble with that point in their careers. Yeah. When it's, when it's time to give it up, right? When it's time to hang it up because, you know, it, it, it's, it's to find who they were. Yeah. So how, how did you make the transition from professional athlete to it looks like you've done sales now for quite a bit of time. Like, how did you go from athlete to sales? Like, how was that a transition for you? Well, you know, I because that seems like it could yeah, be probably difficult. It's very hard, you know. And I have a health science degree from Clemson. I always, I always had a general interest in the body, working out. So I did get a health science degree. I always thought a medical device job was kind of cool, even while I was a pro baseball player. I was always super good friends with the trainers, the orthopedic surgeons that right. would cover our teams. Just asking them questions about their job. You know, how do you evaluate this? You know, I had a general interest for it. You know, so when I got out of baseball, I just thought it was natural for me to try to figure out who I was outside of the game, you know. And the the hardest part for me was just understanding the culture of corporate type sales, man. And, and, and that's the part that my wife's been actually the best coach for me. You know, in sports, 
the more meetings you have, the more problems there are. In sales, the more meetings you have, the more prepared you need to be. Yeah. You need to fill out all these bullshit spreadsheets. You need to have all this almost like phony activity that doesn't exist but just satisfies the manager's guy that he answers to, the regional sales manager, his guy. And putting on a sheet like, don't have any activity, don't have anything to say, I don't have an excuse, that doesn't score you points with the sales jobs. Right. It scores you points with sports because you're not looking for excuses. I didn't get the job done, coach. I don't have an answer. Yeah. I just have hard work to put in and next game I'll kick the guy's ass. That don't work in sales. It's got to be, well, you know, I followed up, they didn't follow up. It's, it, it seems like there's got to be some sort of excuse you got to come up with to rationalize, to keep you in good graces, man. That's the hard time I had. I was way too honest. I was way too honest and way too intense for the for the sales world. My wife was like, dude, you, you got to calm down, man. Like, dude, you're going into these meetings like ready to fight. And then she's like, y- you're going to lose your job, man. And she was right. Like I just, I had to figure out how to play the new game. Yeah. How to get in sync with the rhythm of no baseball. How long did that take? Years. Years. There's still pieces of me that struggle with it. Yep. Interesting. Yep. I'm sure you're not alone when it comes to that with professional athletes transitioning. Well, that's the thing. That's the problem, Nick, is that how do you take the guy that was super successful in an arena where there's 20, 30, 40,000 people watching you work every day. Right. You get the big hit in the gap. You're the hero. The interview. You're, you're signing hundreds of autographs. You're around people that never say no. And the trap is, is if you start to believe you're that guy. You're not, man. You're just in a uniform playing a game that people love. And you happen to be the one that was gifted with that talent. And it's, a, it's just a window of time. But it's not who you are. You can't attach to that identity or you're screwed. And this is where a lot of people have the hard time. This is where they get off the field and they start having troubles because the only thing that replicates that intensity level and that high are the things that destroy us. Gambling, drugs, alcohol, um, excessive excitement things. Look at all these, these guys that buy these planes and crash them and then they die. You see what I'm saying? It's adrenaline rush. It's yeah. adrenaline rush. I know why they did it. They're sitting at home on their couch like, this totally sucks, man. There's not 50,000 people when I walk out my garage anymore. You know, there's people bitching at me, you know? Life is different. Life is different, dude. Let me go buy an airplane. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's right. not a bad no, thing. I know what you're saying. It's recreational for the person, you know? Let me go get a motorcycle and drive 115 miles an hour on, on the highway. That'll give me the same feeling as hitting a home run in the ninth. Let me go put 20 grand on black. Let me see if it hits. It's the same type of stuff, man. What made you not go down that path? Like how did, was it, was it that mental toughness and that grit and the, the work I think you learned from your, your parents? Like why did you not fall into that trap when so many others did? Humble beginnings, man. You know, I come from a dirt farming background, man. Humble beginnings. You know, just the, just the you gotta buy into humility, man. People respect humility. You're, I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that that was the reason why you're so high on life, dude. You're, you're, in a, you're in a fake environment 
of thousands of people idolizing you in the moment. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's not real. It's not real, dude. It's 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 real because you're in there in that moment, but it's not it's not real to the average person, man. It's fake. So, so so back to your transition to sales. So, you you you've been on teams your whole life playing sports. Do you feel that the the working world and this these corporate sales teams are there any similarities to what you experienced on on a, on a baseball team, or is it totally different? I think it's I think a lot of it's different. You know, I think the hard work, the perseverance, the mental toughness to keep going forward, especially in sales, you know, all that stuff's gonna help. And that's why they hire you, you know, because right. you have yeah. a higher threshold for handling that stuff than the average bird that's never been around those type of environments. And I understand that piece of it, you know. And that's cool. I get that piece of it. And I'm strong in those regards. But I'm not better than anybody. I'm not, I don't feel that I'm, I need to be the one in the meeting to stand up and say, well, since I played 14 years of baseball and I'm a Phillies Hall of Famer, you should listen to how I do things because you need to copy me. I don't say that. I stay in my lane. I use my strengths to help me. If somebody comes to me and, and needs a, a shoulder to lean on or needs some advice, I'll gladly give it. But I'm not that ex-pro giving unsolicited advice, right, yeah. telling other people how to do their job and live their life because I'm the know-it-all that was signing autographs. I, you know, to me, that guy's a turnoff if that guy's in my sales group. And I'm not, I don't want to be that guy. No, I get it. I get it. You know? So biggest, what is the biggest thing you miss from playing professional sports? The biggest thing I miss is, 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 the, is the camaraderie the looseness, the hilariousness of grown men playing a kid's game for money. These, the guys in pro ball, it's just funny as hell. The funnier people are, the sillier people are, it's crazy, man, the more you win. Interesting. It's the weirdest thing. The tighter people are, the more uptight they are, the worse the teams do. It's, the, it's weird, man. I've been on all the teams. The looser, the crazier, mm. the off-the-wall, the jokesters, they just seem to maybe keep it loose enough so that way the, the true athlete shows up more often rather yeah, was, than the analytical tight ass. I was going to ask you, what, what, why do you think that makes people better at sports? I think it's because it helps them stay loose and relax and just trust their God-given ability because it's there. That's interesting. You know? And... You know, when I went to I went to the Baltimore Orioles game uh, against the Red Sox about a couple of years ago, I brought a couple of kids that I teach baseball lessons to. And my buddy, Howie Clark's the uh, assistant hitting coach for the Major League team. I said, Howie, what do you work on the most with these players? I mean, these are multi-million dollar athletes. They can tell the hitting coach, go screw yourself. Hey, guy, you ain't telling me shit. And the coach can be like, no problem, man. I'll see you later. He goes, Gary, the biggest thing we work on is helping players get out of their own way. And that is exactly... What we all need to work on in our own lives. How do you get out of your own way to reach your potential? Right. To be the person you know you are on paper. It goes back to the self-doubt piece. That's yeah, you write down where you want to be, what you want to do with your life. And if you're not where it needs to be, we all start finding excuses and rationaliz rationalizations why you're not there. You see? 
No, that makes sense. All right, so I always I always close the podcast with uh, advice from my guest, right? So advice on what what have you done that's helped you reach your full potential? So what what is that that piece of wisdom you'd give to my listeners that you think would help people you know, succeed in life? I would say take a roll call on the people that are filling your brain on a daily basis and really ask yourself, is the person adding or are they subtracting? You want to put your brain around people, environments, and things that get you closer to where you want to go. I would tell people that if if you know you want to Whatever it is, if you want to be healthier, if you want to make more money, if you want to stop being negative, then you need to you need to write these things down and figure out what's the self-talk that's going to get you to be on the other side of it. And every time those those feelings of of doubt start creeping in, because they're going to be there, you can't eliminate it. They're there for me, they're there for you, they're there for everybody. The trick is, is to get it to show up less often. And I feel like <clears throat> reaching back into your memory bank of times you were awesome. Reconnect with that guy. Yeah, I love that. I really do. Reconnect. And I'll do it too. You know, there's like, a, you know, there's like an unwritten rule of like, oh man, you're living in the past. Bullshit. I'll take you in my, I'll take you in the first floor right here. I have Hall of Fame inductions in my wall right here. On days I don't feel good. I'll pump myself back up, man. Dude, this is who you need to reconnect with, man. You're the man. Get back out there and start getting on the phone, calling customers. They need your product. It's an amazing product. They just don't know it yet. Get back on the phone and start swinging. Because you'll never, you'll never, you'll never get a hit, dude, if you don't swing. It's that saying, man. You'll never make a shot you don't take. You got to get back out there. And people don't, people aren't as aware of, of your defeats as you are. You know, we take our own personal defeats and we have the ability to just stop trying because we can, we don't like how it feels. We want to, we're always seeking comfort. Always get uncomfortable, man. That's where the growth is. That's what I would tell people too. Man, you got to feel, you got to be uncomfortable, man. How are you ever going to get that next rung in life if you just, if you just don't, Get uncomfortable, man. It's even asking your your boss for something or that customer for something. You got to ask. You got to know what you're asking for, because you'll get what you're asking for. If you don't, you're gonna you're gonna default into what's already pre planned for you. You see what I mean? Yeah, it'll help you. It'll help you grow. So it helps you move forward with everything, man. This is, you know, I'm I'm living proof, man. I'm living proof. The adversity I went through, the success I've had in baseball, the success I have now in my personal life, which you know, I don't brag about it because on a big scale, it's not that great to me. There's people that have accomplished way more, tons more. But I'm proud of myself because it's the most I know I can do. That's what matters. And that's what matters. So I have respect for myself. Well said. Well, thank you for making time. This is fantastic. And I appreciate you uh, sharing some uh, some fun stories from your, your past professional career and how some of that translates to the, your career today. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Full Potential Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our movement, please visit our website, fullpotentialmovement.com. You can also find us on social media 
We have an Instagram, Facebook, and a YouTube. Thank you again, and we hope you come back to hear another episode.